I am back, another episode, number six to be specific, but we have a special guest this episode, uh, immaculate bassist, drummer, just an all-right musician, also in town fam as well. Uh, he just released a new album of uh, fall of 2021. It's called Green Pastures, but y'all give it up right now for Mr. Jamar Poti. How you doing? Uh, I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, Listen, I want to get straight to it and give a little background for the listeners in terms of uh, your musical upbringing, uh, Genesis. So we're going to start from the beginning in terms of introduction to music. Uh, what was, is there any artist or musician in particular that you gravitated to uh, when you were young? Um, I don't know if it was a particular artist, but I just grew up playing you know, starting in the church. So grew up mm-hmm. listening to a lot of uh, Southern quartet music. So anything Canton Spirituals or uh, the Christianaires, Williams Brothers, anything like that. That's what I was engulfed in for the first 10 to 15 years of my life. So um, mm-hmm. I think that was the foundation early on for sure. So was uh, there that, like a, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Well, I'm saying then I, once I got to high school and you know, been in jazz mm-hmm. band and things like that. I would say Miles Davis, John Coltrane. I was introduced to those guys. So that's what started mm-hmm. to get me on the the artist side of jazz and music outside of just uh, being inside the church. And so with that, was it, it's, it's just certain things that I realized about music. It's like, wow, that artist can really, it, you start to break apart the music. I don't know if you do that, like as a musician, you start breaking apart to what the inspirations are and you kind of follow that that uh, musical tree of like like Miles Davis. Like for me, how I got to Miles Davis was Prince. And so I had to track back, did like a reverse. Usually, you know, you start with Miles Davis and Prince, but Miles was the opposite. Have you had that experience with listening? To, is it like an artist that made you go back and trace their musical tree um well that would be the the best way to go but i did a little bit at college but that was more so i was uh encouraged to i don't want to say forced but encouraged to by my instructors and things like that so uh the people that i did go back and research were jazz drummers because i was studying jazz in college uh percussion well study percussion um (laughs) so a lot of the max roach having to go back and study uh, Buddy Rich and those guys that influenced my my drum side but being a major in percussion um, or emphasis on percussion I didn't get to go back and really study and golf myself into like piano players and horn players um, mm-hmm. even though I think I listen to more Miles Davis than any artist in general um, just something about Coltrane and Miles of course um, Coltrane had the spiritual side of the music in the very like West African rhythms, but the spiritual mm-hmm. uh, um, undertones to like his harmonies and music. And Miles just had mm-hmm. ah, 
it seemed simplistic, but it wasn't. So I love mm-hmm. that about Miles' music. He had space where it needed to be space. Um, mm-hmm. And even if you're not a musician, you could listen to Miles Davis and connect with it. So mm-hmm. I think even now that plays a huge part in anything I write or create. Um, I just, as long as people can connect to it, it's not for musicians or artists or bassists or drummers. I just want to make mm-hmm. music people can feel like the regular person can feel and the musician can feel and appreciate also. So I went in the whole circle. I don't think that answered your question, but <laughs> no, you, you answered it perfectly. And I was just want to put in the, the childhood realm for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any particular time to where um, when you were learning and it was like, it took you forever to learn it. And then when you learned it, did you ever, what, what, what's the feeling after you finally conquered a song that was so complex to where it took you a while to break it apart? And then when you finally got it, it was like feeling after uh, playing a complex song that took you a while to uh, learn It's a great feeling. I think I appreciate it more now once I got to like college and high school um, Mm because I knew what difficulty was and things like that. But growing up earlier in the church, I just I didn't know what I didn't know. So things weren't Mm -hmm. necessarily difficult or hard or at least they didn't seem that way. They seemed very uh, they seemed unfamiliar. So nothing was ever at least in my mind, it didn't seem like unattainable or difficult. And that was just me being naive to, you know, how difficult some rhythm may have been. Um, I just mm-hmm. kind of grew up and I didn't even have a drum set at home, but I think that's where my ears started to develop as a drummer. Just starting to be able to, I had mm-hmm. to listen to songs over and over and really engulf mm-hmm. everything else besides the drums. So I started mm-hmm. to hear the music more and that helped me learn things quicker. Um, not having an instrument to go home and practice on. So, um, so to answer your question, I think it was always a good feeling to uh, come into a rehearsal and play the song like the record and for every for the vocalist mm. and, the, and the rest of the musicians to feel comfortable. That was always my goal. Um, it wasn't necessarily like, man, I got to learn this song so I can, you know, kill this chop or this groove or, right. you know, reach mm-hmm. this next level. It was like, I have to learn the bare minimum is learn these songs like uh, the professionals so that everyone else can uh do their job so that was kind of my thought process when I was younger right um the next question I have is in terms of I guess because we we all have that certain artists musicians that we gravitate to when we were kids was there just a specific artist that were I mean or a musician to where it was like this is how it's supposed to be done and you just what were you like a kid that looked at the liner notes I did, yeah. I did for the the jazz albums. I think once okay. I got to high school, I listened to jazz only, <laughs> like swing and straight right. jazz. <laughs> I went into like right. a two or three year thing, and that's all I listened to. Um, yeah. So I don't I don't know if there's a specific. Um, I'm trying to think, Oscar Peterson. If I would say one, Oscar Peterson okay. was was it. Uh, Oscar Peterson is a legendary iconic jazz pianist um Mm -hmm. and i used to listen to his trio all the time um ed thick pen on drums it was like a king of brushes Mm -hmm. so i think uh, oscar peterson was a huge influence he played piano like a drummer very rhythmic very articulate 
Um, so mm-hmm. I just gravitated toward that. It was very like he could play piano by himself and it was just you weren't right. missing anything. So, um, yeah, if there was someone, it was like that. It was always he approached the instrument uh, unapologetically and he meant every note, mm-hmm. cared for every note he played. So I think that's he's probably the one I gravitated towards the most as far as an artist or musician. So when when did you decide was it just the i guess fate for you to be a musician but when was it that you feel like uh, you were getting serious at, in terms of being a full-time musician when did that what age was that um probably i was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school probably a sophomore in high school i think okay. uh I had a band, a jazz band director, uh, uh, Don Franks, who introduced me to, he gave me a couple of albums, Miles Davis and John Coltrane. So mm-hmm. I think that's when I uh, realized, like, I had already been playing drum set for, you know, probably eight years by that point. Um, or, yeah, probably about five or six years by that point, by the time I got to high school. Mm-hmm. Um and I really didn't realize I was like doing anything special. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were already traveling quite a bit, so I would get to go to Oklahoma City and all over Texas and play mm-hmm. uh, every Saturday. We were somewhere, um, and I did notice I was like the kid that was twelve and thirteen and fourteen playing drums mm-hmm. with like forty-year-olds, you know, thirty or forty-year-olds. So <laughs> right. I was definitely like the youngest wherever we went. I was by far the youngest. Um, so I think that just I think that kind of went over my head I just got used to it and so when I Mm -hmm. got to high school it was uh, I just had Don Franks who really invested in me as far as giving me albums telling me things to listen to Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what jazz was really at the time but I definitely gravitated toward it being a jazz band studying it Uh, I didn't want to walk in being a, a a gospel drummer trying to play in a jazz band Mm -hmm. Um, so he really helped me and encouraged me with that so I think about my sophomore year I think I got to go to a couple of jazz camps my junior year and senior year in high school Mm -hmm. and really start to dive into uh, yeah sophomore junior year talking about doing that in college as a as a collegiate Mm -hmm. thing and yeah I don't know I don't know if there was like a specific moment I think it's just always been in me I think that's you know that's been my calling before I knew it and so I was just right. following and was not aware so what was your your first what age were you when you did your first professional gig mm, by professional you mean paid uh, right <laughs> <laughs> right yeah I have to remember cause that I mean I literally started playing I think I recorded my first album well, played on drums on a recorded album when I was 11, 10 or 11 um, with Malcolm Williams. Uh, his son is a good friend of mine from Ardmore. Malcolm oh, he's a passed away. dope bassist. What's that? Incredible. I said dope. You said yeah. Malcolm? Yeah, Malcolm Williams. Yeah. So we did that dope. at a little studio, I think in Kingston, Oklahoma. Um, Mm-hmm. did about eight songs and I had never been in the studio didn't know what to do uh, <laughs> uh, 
So I would call that my first professional gig, but I didn't get, I don't remember getting paid. And not that I needed to, because I just, I shouldn't shouldn't even have been on that recording. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was, I was inexperienced. So he was definitely uh, doing me a favor. Um, But as far as a paid gig, man, uh, it's so long ago. You've been make you've been doing yeah. it so long. I can't remember, <laughs> it would probably it would probably be college. It would have to okay. be my first my freshman year of college, I would think, because I definitely played a couple of uh gigs. I went to ECU and Ada my freshman year, and I played a couple okay. of gigs with the uh, with the director of bands there at the time. We played some private mm-hmm. parties, and uh, I got paid uh, for those. So those were probably my first paid you know gigs. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a long time ago. So <laughs> it's twenty years ago. <laughs> have a, a preference with uh, ever, or is it just whatever calls for the gig that you the gigs that you do? Is it do you prefer playing the drums with certain genres, or is it genre specific in terms of what you want to play? Um, I would probably say bass right now. Um, I do the mm-hmm. majority of my writing on the bass, so probably just because it's so it's more accessible as far as chords and notes and melodies Mm -hmm. um uh, yeah i would say bass right now my first ep that i recorded was super rush right before i went to la and i wrote most of that from the drums but it was more so me coming up with grooves recording grooves Mm -hmm. and then it was a challenge to these grooves are laid down now create a music bed for it um but with jack it's been more of uh of a natural progression during the pandemic of just practicing my bass late nights Mm -hmm. two in the morning coming up with chord ideas um so i definitely feel like my voice is more uh more on the bass right now so and i still have so much growth on the bass i've been playing drums for years so I feel like the mm-hmm. bass is still kind of new for me. So still discovering a lot on that instrument. So <laughs> when, when in terms of uh, did you have specific um, I, know, I know you mentioned a couple of mentors, but was there anybody that uh, guided you through your through high school and college? Was it like a help you maintain confidence to play or was it just a you know, was, was there anybody uh, helping you, guide you through those years, getting ready to start doing intentionally? Um, not really. I don't think, uh, not intentionally. I definitely had uh, mm-hmm. uh, Kenneth McGee and, and Johnny Reed and the people that were at, these musicians that were at the church I grew up in, um, mm-hmm. they definitely played a huge, they were my foundation growing up for the first, you know, uh, nine or ten years of my being a musician so uh, whether they were directly or indirectly they definitely uh, influenced um, me being ready um, professionally Mm -hmm. Uh, we were always dressed well we were always well rehearsed I mean we -hmm. rehearsed every Saturday for a good three to four hours uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. longer um, every single Saturday so while people mm-hmm. were going out to the movies, doing other things, Saturday nights, I was rehearsing um, for right. hours. So, and that was super fun to me. So 
I think uh, they were a vital part of my upbringing as far as being a musician and maturing and that. Um, we were always on time to events out. You know, we left early. We, we came back. Mm-hmm. We were always, no matter where we were a Saturday night, we were back Sunday morning to be playing at church. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I didn't realize at the time, but I very much carry now. I didn't have anyone that was doing it full time professionally already that I knew that I could look up to. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of it, I really, when I got to college, I got from my professors, uh, had a jazz band professor at OU who would take me out of class and we would go play gigs. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably twice a week I would miss class to go play gigs and get paid. And so I learned a lot from a lot of the professionals in the Oklahoma City metro area, um, or just how to function on a professional level as a musician, how to get paid, Mm -hmm. what you should get paid from a venue, from a private party, all those good things. Um, So I just had a lot of people, yeah, kind of influenced the inmen. I'm so so glad you mentioned uh, John Reed and Kenneth McGee. They are integral for me like when I got the reason why I pursued it professionally being a musician them two it was just their chemistry together is just dynamic it's like the way they can pick up I was just amazed at how they could just pick up um, just hear certain chords even though most gospel chords were C major you know whatnot F sharp you know but it was just the way they could pick up those some songs you know, after, you know, the way they were in perfect pitch every time is incredible, but they were, I, I say they were the ones, they, their discipline was insane. It's just like, for me watching it, I just never wanted to mess up in front of them, <laughs> but it was just, it was like, get it right the first time. And if we stumble through it, it's like, nope, you got to start that back from the top. <laughs> and we keep, we keep until mm-hmm. we get it right. And I, I remember one, I remember one time, I was like, I didn't know if I was playing it right or not because he was just, we were just going through rehearsal and it was kind of, and it was a contemporary song. I can't remember if it was a Walter Hawkins song or it was pretty complicated with the drum patterns. And he was, Kenneth, Kenneth was strengthening my, my, my drumming skills back up because I was playing piano mm-hmm. uh, for a bit and I started drums and it, I was like, man, this is hard. And he was like, you got it. And it was just, yeah. It wasn't that I needed a pat on the back. It was just that reassurance was like, oh, okay, I can do it. And then we ended up doing good. But they're, they're, they they me disciplined and musician. And so I was glad you mentioned them in terms yeah. of your mentors because I feel like him and David Barnes, he he's the one that got me started playing again. And they're disciplined as musicians. I think it's just that old school James Brown one take type of style, the discipline they had yeah. to where you can't that most musicians, young musicians now don't really have that. And I can tell by certain venues they play at, it's like a lot of them are kind of, it it just, you can tell sometimes, but I'm glad I got, when you said that, I'm glad I got that too. But um, my next question is pertaining to, uh, in terms of your growth as a musician, we're going to get to the album, but in terms of your growth as a musician, is there anything that you did when you were a musician that uh, you can look at and be like, oh, I could have did that better. Is there any, in terms of your style or just, is, is there anything in particular that you wish you could go back and be like, you know what, I would do that different now? 
Um, as far as just like development wise, right? Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely always want to be more disciplined when you're younger. But uh, I had a lot of you know friends tell me or professors will never have this much time again, uh, and that's very true. So I now <clears throat> I have time, but you have most of the time when I practice now is practicing for a gig, for mm-hmm. a show. Uh, for church, for someone else's project, it's mm-hmm. it's very rarely that I just get to sit down and work on something, or work on facility or technique or theory. Um, those days were <laughs> college, so um, I would say, yeah. If anything, I wish I would have been more disciplined and had a knew how to practice. I think I didn't uh, I didn't have enough. Uh, not discipline, because I spent a lot of hours in college. Instead of going to parties, I was like practicing. Um, also had mm-hmm. to being at OU, um, learning marimba and all these other instruments, and that I just had right. no uh, experience on. But yeah, I would say that. I would also say I think I wish I would have on piano um, and theory while I was in college. Um, I studied mm-hmm. percussion. Um, but for some reason, I didn't. I didn't lean into all the the things I had around me and the people I had around me. So now, if I would have had the wisdom I had back then, I would I would be talking to the the piano majors and just uh, composition majors, friends I had, and I was you know dipped in that pool so I could be more well rounded um, now. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning things now that I could have learned ten years ago. Um, so. That's what I would say. Um, we're we're going to get to the album, but before I get to the album, uh, this next question into uh, musicality wise, is there an album that you revisit in terms of inspiration? Is like this full album? I mean, I'm sure you do a uh, full album, but is there any particular full album that you've listened to in its entirety to where it's like a go to inspiration in terms of the creativity? coming out yeah there's a couple um Derek Hodge is probably my largest influence as far as an artist um he just happens to play bass but uh he's probably my largest influence as far as when I write uh from the bass or just when I write music in general uh mm-hmm. so any of his albums I go back to uh Kendrick Scott um is a drummer jazz mm-hmm. drummer um Kendrick Scott Oracle. He has a uh, an album. I would say this album kind of birthed out of Kendrick Scott's like uh, his last album. I think is uh, a Wall Becomes a Bridge. I think is the name of it. Um, okay. It came out in, like 2019, and uh, it's just I really got into the album when I, album when I first moved to LA. I was living in Palmdale for the first two months, which is about an hour and a half mm-hmm. north of LA. Um, and so I would just go to the, they have these red mountains and it's kind of mm-hmm. desert up there, up the hill. And uh, I would listen to that album every Sunday and I would go hike for like three or four hours on a Sunday. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever felt so close to God, uh, just peaceful, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being outdoors in the mountains and doing things like that. But also that album, it just spoke to me so Anytime I listen to that now, being back in Oklahoma, it just it puts me in a mind space of it's just very clear, a lot of clarity, a lot of peace. 
kind of centers me. Um, and so, yeah, that's an album I always go back to. So Kendra Scott, Oracle. It's great, great music. So You release Green Pastures, the fall of 2021. Uh, it just starts off very, it's just something about it is, when you said that being closer to God, it has that feeling. It's very, it gives me a lot of meditative uh, energy while I'm listening to Green Pastures. When I listen to it, it's like my, I've, I've been listening to it for two weeks straight. It's my, my go-to album on Tuesdays when I'm getting ready. I'm trying to, you know, get my mind together, get some clarity. And the prelude starts off the album like perfectly. What would, I guess I should ask in terms of creating a whole album, is there any specific approach you had to it in terms of, uh, did you did you come up with the, the were you going from a creating the energy for the record or was it the approach uh, coming up with measures and then creating a song around that? But what's what's the creative process behind making Green Pastures? Um, this one was um, a process, I would say. It was a journey because mm-hmm. um, I think I had a couple of the ideas uh, down when I was in from LA from when I was living in mm-hmm. LA I had just recorded I recorded constantly while I was in LA just at home practice session so um, I had came up with the string uh, just kind of interlude thing a while back when I was in LA and so the prelude is mm-hmm. what um, that it inspired it comes from that I re-recorded it and, and played it differently of course but um, that's where that came off. And I wanted to put that first because I wanted to set a tone, uh, for mm-hmm. the rest of the album. So I didn't want to come up top with a song, just, you know, drums and bass and keys up top. I really wanted to set mm-hmm. a mood. Um, and yeah, I just want to kind of create an hour worth of, an experience and not like you know 10 or 11 tracks of music i wanted to create an hour that someone could so um they would have went on this journey that i went on so um my process was just being at home at my parents uh house <laughs> in ardmore uh <laughs> so i i think i came back from la with a suitcase and my backpack and my bass and one of my basses um, thinking I was going to be in town for three weeks, maybe four. And I had to go back to L.A. Uh, because mm-hmm. of the pandemic that turned into months, uh, which right. turned into like a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I think I was in Oklahoma or in Ardmore for probably six months. Finally flew back to L.A., uh, well, I flew back to San Francisco, helped some friends move, unpack their house. We drove to L.A., packed my things, mm-hmm. uh, got my car. My car was still in L.A., sitting for months. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, finally got all my stuff, and then we we all drove back to Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. It was like a two-day thing. Uh, so this album really, I say that because this album birthed. I think you have to know that entire process of being in LA for two years, a pandemic hits, um, being basically mm-hmm. forced to to come back. You know, had so many friends leave. Uh, 
California because it's just not livable. It's crazy expensive and everything was shut down as far as work um, for an entertainer mm-hmm. or a musician. So, um, so yeah, after relocating, it was for down with nothing to do. Um, it got to a point where I was not creating at all and I was definitely feeling it. Uh, so it was starting to affect my mood. Um, mm-hmm. So I just started to you know, get disciplined with it and say, I'm just going to start step by step and start creating, practicing, recording everything mm-hmm. I practice. Um, and that's really where these songs came out of uh, in a bedroom, getting a recording set up and set my drums up, got mics uh, on them. And I was like, man, I don't know when I'm going to be inspired or motivated to sit down and practice. But whenever I do, I'm going to have the mics. I'm going to have everything set up so I can just press record and I'm not going to miss anything. Um, so that's kind of what my process looked like. Um, um, as far as the songs, I guess, I really wanted to label. come from just from reflecting and taking long walks um, outside and just kind of going through letting all these emotions out of being frustrated being content in the moment where I am uh, yeah sorry I'm saying a lot but no no you're fine you're good so which was um, I choose to trust was that uh does that take you back to experience? Is that was that one of the songs that um, put you in that space in terms of uh, um, you know changing and you know starting a new? Yeah, that was one of those. Um, I think I'd initially titled it something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I think I had titled it like "Black Astronaut" or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I think it's very spacious. Uh, yeah, it's very spacious. It kind of puts me in this. Um, I don't know what's next, um, but I'm open to whatever God has, and mm-hmm. so I think that's why I re- retitled that one. So that's so yeah. dope. Is there any song? I'm sure all of them are special to you, but is there? any song in particular on this album to where we revisit it, it, it gave you a feeling after you recorded it? Um, I don't know. I like all of them. I love honestly. And right. I don't want to sound that sounds terrible. Um, Cause I'm <laughs> an amazing artist or musician or anything, but I really, I think right. I love them because I connect with everything I did. Um, mm-hmm. not every track is, is perfect or like, and, you know, spend thousands of dollars to record it in a, you know, world renowned studio. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's a combination of just raw, uh, real time emotions. What I recorded was it. I didn't, I didn't do 50 takes to get things perfect. You know, what came out, mm-hmm. there's some mistakes in the record. Um, right. Uh, especially with me playing all the instruments is just I'm not you know I could have got other guys 
to play. I have definitely friends that I trust to um, to communicate mm-hmm. what I'm hearing on their instruments better than I ever. But being into doing the pandemic, that's just the way I chose to go. So uh, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because now I really like everything I felt like I wanted to get out in this music was communicated through it. And I think I don't know if I would have been able to accomplish that if I would have sent my tracks to other people to play right. on and things like that. Uh, it's just hard to communicate when you're not in the same room. Mm hmm. My next question is terms of uh, your creativity. What what keeps you going in terms of being a musician? Is there um, do you have clarity on what it is you want to focus on in terms of uh, like you want to spend? Do you like have a season to where okay I'm gonna be a tour musician or a back musician? Do you uh, look at it like that or what? What's your uh, in terms of your approach to the creativity to keep you inspired to keep being a musician what was that for you in terms of do you what direction you want to go in terms of being a full-time musician um i think at this point or at least the last few years it's been uh just my why um uh i believe it's simon Sinek. i forget his name i think as author of uh start with the why always start with why um so i know we all have calling and purposes and, and, and things like that. Um, but I always try to start with a why. Why am I playing music? What does that look like? Um, it looks like something different in every season of my life. So mm-hmm. um, I'm just at the point where I'm okay with whatever that looks like, whether that's teaching. Um, right now I'm teaching a class and I'm also a full-time staff music director at a church here in Edmond. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what this season looks like. And I'm still creating as a as a full-time musician. Um, I'm able to do workshops at other churches with other musicians. Uh, so my network is growing. I still uh, track. I'm able to track for Cats and LA Friends, I connections I made out there. So that's kind of what my season looks like right now. So I don't plan mm-hmm. too far in the future. Uh, I think I'm old enough now where I'm like, there's not necessarily I had goals when I was younger to be you know do cruise ships or go overseas and play jazz festivals and you know those would be great to do um but that's not really like a goal at this point uh my goal now is just to touch people through through my music um to make them feel uh Uh, just to not necessarily bring them out of bondage, but definitely to heal places they didn't know were were definitely needed healing, um, and to show you know God's grace and love just through uh, my music and whatever sounds I can produce. So um, it all just rolls around the ministry. So I want to minister to people uh, just through everything I do. So um, that could be teaching or playing my instrument or leading. So. Is there a particular? It's like a question. Do you have a favorite artist that you've played for? And if not, is there a dream, like uh, artist that you would like to tour with? Um, I would say I don't. I don't know. That's hard. Um. Maybe Kenny Garrett. 
would be one. He's a jazz saxophonist, um, but mm-hmm. was connected with Miles and Coltrane. Um, he played with Miles Davis for years, but Kenny mm-hmm. is one of those guys, saxophonist that he would be one that I would love to, you know, play music with and experience sometime in my life. So nice. Um, Herbie Hancock had, I was watching a video of him on YouTube and he was, um, I think some kind of, it was either a music conference or he was either teaching. I forgot, forgot what it was, but he was, um, talking about Miles Davis and uh, they performing at a, a nightclub in New York. Uh, he was having a, a tough time He's talking about how he was having a tough time trying to expand his mind to create different notes where he wasn't playing the same notes. And he just ended up, he kept playing the same like notes and Miles could pick that energy. He said Miles could pick that energy up and uh, I think it was during, um, they had like a five minute break or something in between the set to where he would, he told them playing butter notes basically was meant that you you just find in the sweet spots. And he said, he's like, just, just be free with it. How do, how do you, in terms of uh, expanding your mind, I know you were talking about theory, talking about practicing how what what do you do whenever you have writer's blocks in terms of the uh creative process in terms of expanding your mind to play different notes um i try to force myself to um just to write just to do it so a mm-hmm. uh, couple of good friends of mine we we forced each other last week or challenged each other to write three ideas um, by the end of the week and send it to each other, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's very when we're not inspired to write and we're all so mm-hmm. busy with life. It's super hard. to Right. Do. Um, it's super hard to just make yourself sit down and be OK with whatever comes out. And so right. I try to force myself to do that. Um probably every four or five months if I'm feeling like I haven't created anything I'll just sit down Mm -hmm. and I have to record an idea every single day it can be a 40 second idea or a minute and a half idea but it needs to have a melody it needs to have a chord structure uh, and that's pretty it harmony and melody uh, needs to be included so that's a that's a best practice that I kind of have adopted Um, as far as just playing notes and not sounding the same all the time. Um, I just try to listen to a wide variety of music. Um, I create as I'm going to write a song and then solo bass all over it because like that's not what I'm thinking at all. And I hope that's not communicated in the right. music. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm trying, I'm trying to create like a palette and right. what I'm trying to say it get gets expressed whether it's on the bass or the drums. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times it becomes the bass because it's just a much of a melodic instrument. Um, so I don't really think of it too much as far as like I'm gonna play these scales over this chord and blah 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 because um, I'm mm-hmm. not that strong in that area to start with. Um, I just try to paint a picture, um, colors, uh, just 
I try to paint something on the on the canvas that's there. So uh, I just try not to think about it too hard and approach everything without much thought. You know, intention, but not a lot of thought, overthinking. So, right. Yeah. Is there any genre that you have played yet that you would like to play in terms of uh, gig wise? That I would like to play. Mm-hmm. Um, that you don't. That you have. It's not in your arsenal. Like you play it so so. It's not necessarily like your main and integral part of your creativity. Is there one that you learn or? Uh, I guess get it down to where you would want to perform those. Um, hmm, I don't know. Not that I can think of. I mean, maybe Brazilian music just because mm-hmm. of the rhythms. Um, and not necessarily like salsa things, but more Brazilian. Right. So Afro-Cuban Brazilian music. Yeah. Um, just because it's very rhythmic and there's hundreds of rhythms and styles within that genre itself and that culture. So, yeah, if anything, I would say that that Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Cuban, you know, genre. So, Is there um, any any singer in particular that you like uh, listening to music to play your play bass with? Like a uh, Friends, Esperanza, uh, Spalding, and Lettucey, Layla Hathaway, like, like that can stretch their voice and have the jazz versatility. Is there like any kind of singer to where you you listen to them specifically to get inspiration playing the bass? Sorry, one more time with that question. <laughs> I said, um, is there any singer in particular? that have jazz versatility that makes you want to practice uh, while, while playing, while playing. Keep close to me on the path of life and I will share your joys Man. and multiply them many times. That's weird. I catch it like when you first start and then it just goes away. <laughs> I hear any, is there any singer? And then that's all I hear. Yes. Is there any singer in particular that has jazz versatility that you like playing the bass with the uh, listening to their voice. Um, I don't know if it's uh, Jill Scott. She's not really considered to be, I guess, a jazz vocalist. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm always intrigued by how Jill uses her voice. So rhythmically, melodically, she's more of a poet that has a voice, or a musician that has. A voice. So. Uh, she's one, yeah. I just love the, everything about her note choices and um, her texture and everything she creates. That first album, Who's Jill Scott, Volume One? Oh, it's so many. Uh, you get so much creativity. And even uh newer album, Woman, is just a. I still feel the jazz. She has sort of a Saravon approach. To it sometimes I'm always intrigued by it but uh I I have this this game I play with the guest and in this one in particular is called savvy association and we want the base of the base of the game is just to um I'm gonna say a word and I want you to name I'm a, I have three words 
how to name uh, the song that comes to mind when you hear it. Okay. Okay. The first uh, word is time. Time. Uh, I would say next lifetime. Erica Badu. There we go. Yes. That that definitely counts. Uh, Okay, the next word is everything. Everything. Uh, oh, that is horrible. I should be better. I'm horrible with lyrics. That's why I'm a musician and not a vocalist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Aren't we all? Right. Everything is changing. Is that not a song? Is that not a lyric? Everything is changing. Uh, I feel like you made that up, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It's a good line, I feel like. Everything is changing. It's that King Cole song. Oh, I gotta, I gotta Google that and see if that's in that King Cole because that sounds like something he would sing. It's, it's no, you gotta give me something else. That's not that. All right. <laughs> I can't clarify if that's a song. <laughs> oh, this is horrible. Everything. everything. <laughs> Should Google something. <laughs> nope, you uh, can't cheat. Nope, no Google. I know. I'm like. <laughs> I've got my phone. Now. I'm like, <laughs> I keep on everything. I feel like everything is changing as a lyric because I keep hearing that. In my everything head. is changing. Oh, you go Google it, and if you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna Google it for you to make sure it's a song. Please, and yeah. see if we. That's a change. That's a song. Somebody's song. I know. We're gonna go back to that one, and I'll, I'll uh, fact the song. Fact but the it. next word, <laughs> right? The word is life. Life? Uh, life, life, whatever that movie is, Casey and JoJo. There you go. Yeah. Okay, uh, life, life. That's the name of the, the, yep. the movie is life. Okay, that was easy. I feel like I should throw another one at you. Uh, I don't know. I'm not doing too well. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Okay, this is an easy one. Day. Day? Uh, every day I'm hustling. <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> oh, I thought she's gonna say your song as thy day. That's what you're gonna say. Uh, no. <laughs> you know what? You are me. right. <laughs> hey, you got that right. It's uh, everything is changing by artist name Catavar. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, it's probably Catavar. That's probably that's probably. Yes, that is a song. With, with I stand corrected. Song. I could have did a few things, yeah. I was saying Mary J. Blige, My Everything, or Everything, that's the name of the song. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to go, go gospel. I was going to say, God is my everything. That's what you were going to say. I don't know, I'm blanking. I throw a gospel. It's because it's I'm on the spot, so I'm blanking. <laughs> Right, it, that's what that song does. It makes you, makes you. But you, you pass. You were three for three, so you won yeah. that. The I have a couple more questions uh, before I let you go. Uh, in terms of, uh, we talked a little bit about writer's block, but I want to know. Um, how do you keep your inspiration going whenever you're? Your fuel levels in terms of your creativity. How do you keep your inspiration going? Um, I try to get out and really try to do walks outside. Anything outside, I try to do. If mm -hmm. I go to the lake and be around water or a park, um, um, or go fishing, I love fishing. It's like relaxing. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So anything away from my instrument, away from music, away from the city, um, yeah, it really, I kind of feel refreshed and recharged after I do that. So, do you have any advice to musicians that are having a rough patch um, creatively? Um, I, I would say find your find your uh, your quiet place, whatever that looks like. Um, a mixture between that because uh, you always need to get away from the monotony of whatever your routine is um, but I also listened to Shonda Rhimes talk about a couple weeks ago that there's no such thing as writer's block uh, she doesn't believe in that word uh, you just have to be disciplined to get it every single day mm-hmm. no matter what it looks like write um, compose uh create every single day whether you think it's good or bad um Mm -hmm. i think there have been projects that people thought were really going to be great and then they kind of flopped or something that they thought they created that wasn't very good um and then it just took off and impacted people Mm -hmm. um so that that's what i would say i would just try to be diligent every single day and create um i think we all have giftings um and that's part of us being responsible and steward our gifts mm-hmm. just by doing mm-hmm. it. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, that would be my advice. So, I said that was my last question, but I have to ask in terms of jazz, how do you see it going future? Do you think it's at a, in a great space or do you think it's still people, uh, the respect of jazz is gone. Do you think it's still there? Do you think more like I, I know in modern music, like Kendrick Lamar incorporating uh, his the album he uh, collaborated with Rob Glasper. Uh, do you do you still see it modernizing? Do you think, do you, uh, think the respect is still there for jazz in a modern space? Yeah, I think jazz will always be around. Um, you may not see it on the mm-hmm. you know the huge platforms or the huge radio stations because uh, rap and hip hop kind of takes that or more so rap these days uh, mm-hmm. so whatever the younger generation is is uh, you know leaning towards um, but it, I, jazz is jazz will be around period jazz will never die it's a timeless art um, there are mm-hmm. so many young cats in New York coming up and now with social media being such a thing um you don't have to be in New York. You don't have to be in Chicago. Uh, you don't have mm-hmm. to be in New Orleans to have access to this music. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not worried about it. Overseas, it's jazz is still as huge as it ever was. So um, mm-hmm. I'm encouraged. There are a lot of young cats. Uh, Samara Joy is a young lady jazz vocalist that is blowing up right now. She sounds like uh, Sarah Vaughn. And the, the young mm-hmm. lady is probably 19 years old. Um, oh wow! So I just think there's a lot of young cats, um, a lot of cats that I've uh, discovered over the past year, just because the pandemic, being at home, you're on more on social media. People are live streaming from their mm-hmm. homes and apartments, and so I've discovered a lot of new cats. So I'm not worried about the music. I think it's it's going to be great. You know, it's always going to live on. So. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Jamar Boutique.
His album, Green Pastures, is available now on all digital outlets. Where you find music, you can find Spotify. It's it's on there. Uh, make sure y'all check it out. F- fantastic album. It just cohesively makes sense. And everything that you said earlier, the creativity of the album, I feel like it translates when you listen to it. So it's very meditative. I know for me personally, it puts me in a great meditative space when I listen to it and I can incorporate it in my, a part of my discipline. My, my ritual is being in a divine space to go on about my day. So I think Green Pastures is a just excellent work. I think you have such an eclectic uh, point when it comes to your artistry and how you approach the music, the, the certain uh, uh, core cho- choices that you make, it it, op- it brightens my mind whenever I hear it. So, so I've never heard that chord before in this, you know what I mean? It's, kind of, uh, it's very skillful, it's meditative, it's mellow, it's it's above. You can I would I wouldn't even specify do you and that's uh that's my last, but do you uh, would you specify this album in a particular genre or is it just your it's a combination of your fusion of sounds? Yes, I think it's definitely a combination. Um it's very spiritual but it's on the jazz instrumental side mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. It's definitely in between those two genres I guess so do you see yourself collaborate making the album but doing it more so of a featured artist on it or is it just specifically just with the music the instrument um no more so just with the music uh, I think mm-hmm. there may be plans this coming year um hopefully with two good friends of mine Darnell Blake and and Christopher Williams to do a project uh, with us between us three, so um, if we do do that, that will be more of an artist featured thing. Both of those gentlemen are extremely talented vocalists, rappers, musicians, mm-hmm. so uh, writers in general. So that that project may be more centered around uh, artistry, so rather than just instrumental music. So Green Pastures, like I said, you can available now where you get your digital uh, music from uh, streaming on Spotify, uh, Green Pastures. Make sure you chat Mr. Jamar Pope. I just want to thank you for being my guest. Uh, on my this, this is such a fantastic episode. I feel like a lot of musicians tune in. You're definitely giving a lot of gems in terms of the creativity and just the process going into this album. So I feel like a lot of musicians, a lot of musicians that write to and have a lot of questions, and I like this episode is going to answer a few of them. May not all of them, you know, because, you know, but I feel like majority of the questions that the people that are into this uh, this podcast, I think you answered them. You dropped a lot of gems, and I appreciate you taking your time to let me ask about this amazing album, but thank you. Thank you for having me on your amazing platform. Super proud of you, everything you're doing. Um, so thank you for even thinking to bring me on. Thank you for listening to the album. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pleasure being on. I, so. I appreciate it, and it's a mutual feeling. But yeah, make sure y'all check it out. And like I said, we'll be back next week. We out. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed, or relaxed, soul savviness got you. 
the ultimate getaway. You are listening to the Sounds of Soul Savviness podcast, where we are sure to put your mind, body, and soul at ease. 